Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Kara. Will, I got the full Jabari Smith experience this past weekend. Did you storm a court? No, I did not half heartedly <laughs> storm a court. Uh, it was that was weird. Florida, Florida fans, atmosphere is great. That court storm was not at the level of Arkansas. The PA guy shouting the entire time, please exit the floor, please exit. Like, all right, man. I, and I actually kind of looked back on it and it, I, I didn't see if they got fined or not for, for storming the court. Mm-hmm. But if you did, what a waste that would have been because yeah, it was, it was like kind of fun, but it wasn't like a true court storm. It was, it was, a, it was an intended awkward, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, ah, screw it, let's just do it and then quickly exit the court anyways. Like it, it was just kind of a mess, but what are you gonna do in that spot? You know, you'd be the number two team in the country. Yeah, good for them, for sure. I, I was really hoping you would just go full Ravel and just be like, I'm here for the content. I gotta store up the court. Oh God, no. Uh, <laughs> Reporting you no, live sh- from Facebook. <laughs> Shout out to my buddy Drew, who had uh, these two seats that were just, I mean, two rows behind Auburn's bench. It was awesome if you watched the game on espn on saturday and you saw a green shirt behind auburn's bench that was yours truly um ended up being kind of the perfect scenario because i just wanted to see jabari smith at his peak didn't want to see him get into foul trouble or something like that or have like a mizzou like night shooting and i wanted to see that and i wanted to to get a down to the wire game and we got both of those things and you know it's, it's strange but like basketball is unique because your perspective can change a lot when you see guys up close. Oh yes, no, the most, if you guys have never like sat, like come down before an NBA game and like been next to these humans, as much as it's like, oh, NFL players are big, it's like, no, if you're next to like Kevin Durant, it's like, oh yeah, this yes. dude is several generations of evolution past me. I need to like, can't believe we're the same species, yeah. I even remember when I covered when I covered Indiana basketball for the student newspaper 2012, and usually media seats were um, like behind the basket, but you know probably about the height of the basket was about you know how how low we were, and there was like you know, students that were in front of us and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. or we'd be like a few rows like several rows up on the other side if we were in the mid mid court depending on where we were seated on that given day, and I remember then for the NCAA tournament and the Big Ten tournament also sitting uh, like court level like basically like sitting court side at one of those tables and even that changed my entire perspective and i looked at it being like whoa this is different that that right there the smallest difference can sort of make these dudes look even more superhuman than they actually are mm-hmm. and jabari is i mean like he, you walk in and, and you know i mean drew said to me right when we walk in he's like Jabari looks different than anyone out there, yep. which is saying something. I mean, I actually think so. The KD thing where KD lies about his height mm-hmm. and he's actually probably seven feet. I kind of think Jabari is the same thing. Oh yeah, if you see I, him I, play basketball, it's like that guy's not, yeah. Like guys that like lie to get shorter, have more power to you, I man. I think he might. But like, Dude. you watch him next to guys that are like, you know, big guards, it's like, he's not a big guard. He's like a small center, like. He looks like he's the same height as Walker Kessler. Yeah. He was listed at 7'1". Right. Uh, like, <laughs> which is an unbelievable thing to, to even consider. But it, t- you see you see the length, all of that, the body control, the skill. I mean, it's just all there. It, it's almost like the appreciation you have for how hard it is to hit a baseball when you see it in person yep. as opposed to watching it on TV and how different, like that that transition and how, how much you kind of realize, oh, some dudes are just 
way, way beyond the, the average level of athlete who's, who's out here. And yeah, the KD comp, you, you see it. Adam's been making that. Adam's not alone in, in making that. But I actually disagree with Adam about the Jabari had to be more assertive at the end of that game. I, in my opinion, I, I, I mean, I, that was a set play. Clearly, he's being used as a decoy, kind of stretch the floor, design look, little pick and pop up top, Walker Kessler trying to get him a high percentage look, even though he kind of sucked on Saturday. <laughs> um, I, I disagree with why they did that, but Jabari was kind of staying, in my opinion, at least he was staying within the confines of the set look. But anyway, he was remarkable. It was a lot of fun. Is Before we really get going, is there an athlete that you've seen in person from up close that just sort of blew you away. Maybe basketball is the best example for that. Yeah, other than um, other than KD, like I was talking about, I think that bl- what blows my mind, man, is when you see guys that are guards and you think like, oh, this guy's a guard. He's like, if you're like, you know, six one, six two, you're like, oh, this guy's about my size. But it's like, no, you get around like a James Harden, and it's like, oh, this guy towers over me. He's yes. like a smooth, like look, just imposes his size, like not not even threateningly. It's just like he's huge, and like that's the thing, like with the NBA guys, like I said, it's like the guys that you think are your height aren't, and the guys that you think are way bigger than you are even bigger than that. Like talking to like Vucevic back in the day, I was just like, I don't know how you're like, I don't know how you go through life. Like, like, I don't know yeah. how you go. Your apartment must be just, like, ridiculous. I don't know. Anthony Davis, yep. back in the day. Yep. Hugh, like, just, you see his size. And maybe, I don't think Jabari, I don't think Jabari's going to get those comps because I think Jabari's a better shooter. Right. And some of the things that they, they like to be able to do are, are, are just different from a college perspective. But, man, you kind of see some of these guys out there and the things that they're able to do, bring the ball to the floor at that size, and it's just... I mean, it's, it does not seem fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, great pod in the works today. Former Texas A&M defensive coordinator and new head coach at Duke, Mike Elko, coming up in a bit. He's got a ton of stuff that he's, that he's doing, getting ready. Uh, first two and a half months on the job at Duke. So it's great that he was able to set aside some of his time for us. We're also going to talk about leaving jobs and figuring it out. But first, as of this recording, 3.54 on what day is today? Today's Monday, <laughs> 3.54. It's President's Day. How could I forget that? You know I'm a big President's guy. We respect the President's um, here. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, most. Um, <laughs> there's there's some good podcasts out there digging into like all the old Presidents and stuff like that yep. if you want to really dig into it. Um, but anyways, Liam Cohen is expected to go back to L.A. Uh, by Liam Cohen, I, of course, am referring to myself that I'm going to reunite with my buddy Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. Um, opportunity I couldn't pass up. Like I said, as of this recording, <laughs> which we haven't been cold taked in a minute, so we're probably due. As of this recording, Bruce Feldman reported that Liam had been offered the job, but that the terms hadn't been finalized, which was kind of going against the initial report from Albert Breer that said that he had agreed to become the next offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. I'm assuming for the sake of this argument and the discussion we're going to have today that he's gone. And if he's not because the Rams somehow lowballed him and Kentucky came over the top, well, what a story that would be. And we'll end up talking about that as well. Um, but uh, I wanted to kind of to, to kind of offer up some perspective on this because there's a lot of different things to, to dissect with, with this move and what it means for Kentucky, what it means for the SEC, what it just means for hiring in general and how difficult it can be sometimes. And uh, like as much as we kind of make our jokes, it's been fun. 
to have a doppelganger in college football in the SEC, in fact, mm-hmm. um, I, I did find myself bummed to hear that news. The initial report from Albert Breer that came out that he would be going back to Los Angeles. As for Kentucky, everybody knows huge, huge loss. Guy delivered Kentucky its best offense since 2007. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle, right? We, we've seen great offenses from Kentucky like here and there over the last 25 years, dating back to the air raid days, dating back to the Tim Couch days. Andre Woodson was, of course, the quarterback of that last great offense that Kentucky had back in 2007. If you guys want to be shocked, look up some Andre Woodson numbers. <laughs> Ooh, man, he lit it up that year. Mm-hmm. Lit it up. And I mean, for a while, for the Stoops era, really, they would have you know Benny Snell, they'd have a Lynn Bowden or something like that that was fun, but being able to kind of sustain that year-to-year success was just a little bit of a different story. And they really never had an offense that was even considered de- decent by SEC standards up until Liam Cohen came to Lexington. Of course, everybody knows Wandell, multiple single season re- records in his one season there. Will Levis, most scrimmage yards of any Kentucky quarterback since the aforementioned Andre Woods in 2007. The group that we thought we were going to get, led by Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez, was expected to be in the same offense. And maybe expected is the wrong word because this was always kind of the yeah, but Kentucky was always going to have to work through this. The second that Kevin O'Connell got that job with the Vikings and Jim Harbaugh ultimately had to do the Michael Scott tail between the legs, didn't get the job at corporate, go back to Dunder Mifflin back in Scranton. This was on the table, right? Man, we, we didn't laugh nearly enough about that either. That guy, man. <laughs> oh, what a Yikes. Joke. Yeah. We, we're, we've both been hard about defenders in the past, but after this year, it's like, all right, dude, like you're, yeah, you deserve to lose Gaddis. Anyway. Great sliding doors moment that could that could turn out to be mm-hmm. for uh, for the rest of college football. That'd be interesting to, to be able to look at, and who knows how many more programs that could continue to, to impact. But any way you want to look at it from Kentucky's perspective, it's a loss and it's a tough pill to have to swallow. Mm-hmm. I imagine Mark Stoops will replace him with Alabama-like perspective. And let me clear that up first. Lane Kiffin, after he left Alabama for the head job at FAU, Saban decided that Kiffin's offensive philosophy, the one that he brought over back in 2014 and kind of overhauled their offense, brought them into the modern era, Saban decides that's going to be the new base format for what we're going to do. Whoever is the offensive coordinator at Alabama is essentially going to be asked to run Kiffin's offense, but of course they're going to be able to have their own tweaks, put their own unique spin on the offense. Stoops is going to hire someone with an extremely similar background, one would think. Mm -hmm. Now, Sean McVay's out here trying to promote all of his guys from within instead of having them leave just because uh, everybody who leaves the Sean McVay tree gets bigger and better opportunities. That's the way this thing whole, this, that's the way all of this works. Yep. But you would still expect Stoops to go after somebody that has at least been signed off by that group or signed off by someone within that specific tree. Liam Cohen set to replace Kevin O'Connell, who became the fourth McVay assistant to get an NFL head coaching gig. Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor, O'Connell, Brandon Staley. Pretty impressive. So for everyone saying, hey, why would Liam Cohen leave for a job where he's not calling plays? That's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. His ability to get a head coaching gig will not be dependent on whether or not he calls plays for the Rams. Not a deal breaker. Hasn't been won't be moving forward very i mean also, similar in a way to what happened with house too where it's like okay like you get on nfl staff you just kind of chill out there refine what you're good at and then some other job is going to call you up and give you that stepping stone where you don't really have the liability of calling plays really you just get to be a smart guy in the room and just learn be a sponge and just wait for your time 
Yeah, and, and a difficult thing to have to probably juggle because you've done the pros and cons list, right? right. You've, and, and Liam Cohen, this was his first year as an FBS play caller. And it's not like he was calling plays when he was in a systemic base staff. And if you're trying to figure out what am I good at? You know, we talked about this a little bit with Joe Brady. How much do you bet on yourself? And how much do you say, look, I need to kind of stay in this specific role to continue to, to master my craft and to build myself up. And when these guys have these meteoric rises, which now I think we can put this in this category, you do question that. And if it doesn't work out, you'll look back on it and say, well, maybe you should have spent more time doing this, this, or this. When in reality, it's really difficult to turn down an opportunity that good when you've seen what it's like on the other side. Mm -hmm. All signs point pointed right at Kentucky trying to keep their guy. All right, this wasn't like some situation here where they just said, ah, you know what, We're, you go do your thing, we kind of get it, bigger, better opportunity, have fun. I, this was somebody who got a pretty significant raise to stay at Kentucky, got into the seven-figure club, making $1.1 million, $100,000 increase year over year after he was making, what, like seven fifty dollars or something like that in his first year, and really was kind of in a prove-it situation, and that's what he did. I honestly don't think that, that Cohen leaves unless it's McVay or another NFL offensive coordinator job. But at this stage in life, you can't assume that those opportunities and that window is always going to be open. Cashing in on the season that he just had, it, it does make sense when you think about it. There's no guarantee that Stoops, as great as he has been with his hires, and that's been such a big part mm -hmm. about why he's been able to elevate that floor in Lexington. As great as he's been in that area, there's no guarantee that he's going to get someone who did the things that Liam Cohen did, which, in case you forgot, number five offense in the SEC, first time that's happened since 2007. Kentucky has not had top 40 offenses in consecutive years since the Tim Couch era, 97-98. Wow. All right, everybody remembers. Mike Leach, Hell Mummy, him. Pretty, pretty prolific, famous offense in college football. Mm -hmm. We are Even Hell Mummy fans here. Of course, yes. In late 90s, early 2000s, Kentucky, big fan because we're talking Tim Couch talking hefty lefty of course oh, yeah. absolutely even that team though that team couldn't have a winning season in SEC play which this 2021 Kentucky team did for the second time since the Jimmy Carter administration that's the stat I always like to bring <laughs> up and because it's President's Day that's what we're talking about here um, but what's changed with Kentucky this year and this is an important thing to understand they actually had multiple ways to beat you wasn't just the air raid of the late 90s or the high-powered attack that we saw with Andre Woods in 2007 where that defense ranked 80th in the country, really wasn't much of anything on that side of the ball there. Neither of those teams had legitimate defenses. 2018, Kentucky could run the ball, they could play lights-out defense led by a certain Josh Allen, but they couldn't beat you in multiple ways. They could really only win one style of football game. Mm -hmm. This team could. This team had seven games with 34 points or more, and they also held teams to 23 points or less eight different times. Mark Soups has been searching for his compliment on the offensive side of the ball, the yin to his yang, if you will. And now he's gonna be searching again, which is extremely difficult. Even Saban, after, after Kiffin leaves, the awkward exit to FAU, and we're gonna to get to talking about leaving your job later. <laughs> probably should have talked, to, we should probably talk about Kiffin a little bit, um, but, he, Saban makes what, in hindsight, we would look at and say, perfect hire. Hired Brian Dable, right? Yep. Like, Brian Dable, the guy who just became the New York Giants head coach. 
the, the guy who maximized every ounce of talent it, that Josh Allen has, he's now off doing big things and is highly regarded in NFL circles. But in 2017, in that one year where he's the offensive coordinator, it just didn't quite work. Mm -hmm. And I know Alabama gets to the national championship, second and 26, sorry, Georgia fans didn't mean to go there. But if you go back and look at Alabama's offense that season, Jalen Hurts is coming back as the SEC Offensive Player of the Year, which he got as a true freshman. And in 2017, he just wasn't comfortable in Brian Dable's passing offense. So like so uncomfortable that he ended up getting benched, Tua comes in, of course, the rest is history. But I bring that up because I think you have to change the upside for Kentucky in 2022. Even if Stoops crushes this higher and it's really, really good, mm -hmm. we, we, we talk about how wide open it looks two through five in the East. That's something we were talking about the other day, right? It seems like four teams are vying for that spot and how Florida, you know, if Anthony Richardson becomes the guy, go listen to that podcast. If Anthony Richardson becomes the guy, could they vault into that number two spot in the SEC East? I think Liam Cohen leaving absolutely opens the division up more because instead of getting Will Levis coming back, playing for the same offensive coordinator after he was a summer enrollee last year, he's got to learn somebody new and there could be another transition period with him. There's no guarantee that we see the balance like what we saw this past year. Kentucky fans know how fleeting success can be. I mean, this is the program that hasn't had winning seasons consecutive years in SEC play let me, let me back that up. Let me clean that up for a second. I, I, I tripped over my words. This is the program. Hasn't had consecutive winning seasons in SEC play since the Gerald Ford slash Jimmy Carter administration. 1976, 1977. Election year. Okay. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah, of course. People forget. Yeah. How could they, though? Cohen's presence was huge. Absolutely huge. Guys really liked him. You could just tell. He brought a different perspective, a different vibe to that place. And even though his departure was inevitable, right? Like inevitable at some point. It wasn't like he was gonna be Stoops' guy for, for a decade. The fact that Kentucky only got one year out of him might be a tough pill to swallow. Will, you know all too well what it's like to watch a young, elite <laughs> offensive mind walk out those doors to the NFL and realize there's no guarantee that they'll get it back to that level, right? Yep, yep. And and that's why I like the situation just so much better than what Brady did because Brady just completely, he was a situation where he was a co-offensive coordinator and went to the NFL to take overall offensive coordinator jobs and Matt Rule's staff, who that's kind of been a tire fire since the beginning, whereas Sean Thanks. McVay is coming off of, you know, a Super Bowl. He is obviously, you know, there's such a floor on, on that team because he is there. And I think that this is kind of an incubator. And you know, this might be a, a weird time to bring this up, but I, I personally think that when Cam Newton got drafted, it started slowly changing the way that we viewed NFL uh, offenses, right? Because before that, hmm. it was about, okay, we basically NFL OCs were like, we're gonna make these reads as complicated as possible. And if you don't get it, you're not an NFL QB. Well, when Cam got drafted, that was one of the first guys that all the college guys were like, no, like you need to find a way to make this guy work. And, you know, he won an MVP. And, and you know, credit to 
Ron Rivera and some of the looks that they put them in with, you know, incorporating some of that QB run and stuff like that. Now, where am I going with this? It's a lot more wide open now to switch between college and the pros. Because college football hmm. used to be trying to get guys in space, get the ball to your playmakers. Whereas NFL football was more about your reads and your progressions and setting up the next thing. Well, pretty soon the NFL realized they were doing it wrong. It really still is about getting guys in open space, about getting guys good matchups. And offense doesn't have to be hard. You know, you saw what Sean McVay was able to do with Jared Goff, you know, getting him to the Super Bowl on a very limited playbook. And so now that the overall in vogue offense is to make things easy for your quarterback, which is something we should have thought about almost a century ago. Um, but now that we're in this situation, you know, if you're a, you know, non-tier one team, and not to take on anything that Kentucky has done, but if you are, you know, in that next year, if you are, you know, vying for your division title, you know, looking for a New Year's Six Bowl game, your OCs are going to be open to going to the NFL because it seems like the only college coordinators that really are truly set and happy are guys, you know, um, you know, some of the Clemson type guys that we've seen uh, with Elliott and Venables, some of the Ohio yeah. State guys that have been sticking around for a while. And even then those guys go on to get head coaching jobs. So point being, it's, you know, it's always a blessing in disguise whenever you have this kind of guy that turns around your offense um, to only then get poached because there's that next tier of jobs that wouldn't have even been available, I don't think, um, you know, 10, 12 years ago. So, but, you know, like you said, the good side of that is that coaching tree is just massive. And there are so many guys next to guys next to Sean McVay at this point. point. And there are so many, you know, opportunities to run that style of offense. And you can go through and look at some of the guys that run similar concepts in the NFL and their little flavor to it. And so at this point, if you're stoops, you know, you got to just pat yourself on the back and say, hey, look, like I said, House left to go be a coordinator for the Chiefs. You know, Cohen went to go be the OC for the Rams. That means he, his coaching tree is growing, number one. He's setting his guys up for success. You know, Kentucky is at this point viewed as a good place to be. It's a good place to develop your coaching career. And he can go ahead and tell his next hire, hey, look at these guys that I've sent to the NFL. Look at these, not only players, but coaches. And so I think if you're in Kentucky, you love where you're at. There is some fear there, obviously, but you know, you have a kind of stability that only Alabama knows if you're a Kentucky fan. So at that point, you just gotta trust your guy because he's been making dynamite decisions for, at this point, what, almost 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. and. You have to praise the the ability to adapt, adapt or die. Mm -hmm. We say it all the time. Stoops was willing to adapt oh, yeah. when I, things could have taken a very Iowa-like turn with that <laughs> offense. And how fitting it was that, that Stoops, the Iowa grad, played Iowa in the bowl game. And you kind of see what it's like when you are very set in your ways offensively. He could have kept his guy on board. He, he could have said, Eddie Grant, you know what? We, we go way back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this thing going. And instead, as the story goes, he sits down with Liam Cohen at that, that Netflix comedian's house. Great story in The Athletic, by the way, uh, if you want. I think it was Bruce Feldman who wrote that. I think it was either Bruce Feldman or Kyle Tucker. It was in The Athletic. But a great story about how you know he sits down and, and he's just blown away. And instead of getting caught up and like, oh, this guy was only you know, assistant receivers coach, assistant quarterbacks coach, he is blown away by what he saw and says, I can apply that. And you have to trust if you're Kentucky Stoops' ability to recognize that. Now, I, I absolutely think that that's going to impact this division race. I think that while I certainly would not have picked Kentucky to beat Georgia, not saying that, not saying that, uh, Liam Cohen was one of three offensive coordinators who scored two offensive touchdowns against Georgia's defense. Just saying, 
just throwing that out there. Um, it wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't gonna happen. I need to get off that take. And by the way, I wasn't saying that 2019 LSU was 2021 Kentucky. No, That's, for sure. I wasn't going, but I think it's <laughs> I worth mentioning that, that like those two situations are honestly they seem similar, but they're going in opposite directions. Because this is a great career move for Liam Cohen. Yes, absolutely, and it makes a lot of sense. The college football playoff is staying at four teams. Uh, Just want to. <laughs> yeah. We found this out on Friday. Uh, let's. We, we should give a round, round of applause for the alliance. Good job for the Alliance. Looked each other in the eyes, said, more money? More teams in the playoff? No, thank you. <laughs> we don't want that. Get out of here. Uh, but hey, how about that Rose Bowl? Um, Got to keep that locked in. Got to, for whatever reason, obey that master can, uh, into the, the 21st century. I, I do not know why the, that loyalty continues to be at such a high level. Meanwhile, the Sugar Bowl is like, 11 o'clock local time, we'll play at 11 o'clock local time, no big deal. <laughs> that's how the Fiesta Bowl was too, like yeah. yeah. And like, dude, yeah, it's, the answer is you gotta have somewhere for the non-Ohio State teams to call their national championship. Like, you know, Wisconsin or Michigan get to that Rose Bowl, they're like, this is it for me, buddy, I'm here. Which is just wild. At least they were able to defend the automatic qualifiers, good for them, mm -hmm. good for those three conferences in the Alliance for standing up for what you believe in. I honestly don't have anything new to add to this and I kind of bring it up tongue in cheek because the playoffs staying at four until 2026, contract runs out 2025 and not ripping up this current contract was inevitable the second that the Alliance became a thing mm -hmm. because as we know, this had to be unanimous. All parties involved had to agree to this in order for this not to happen. And it's not even a given that it'll happen when the contract is up at the end of 2025 and th that's you, you need to have majority from from the power five conferences as well to be able to move forward with that so if it sounds like i'm giving the alliance credit i'm definitely not <laughs> i want that to be known as well i think they are dying on the wrong hill and once again looking at this process all wrong because they aren't going to change the the status of their non-ohio state teams at all and last i checked a, a league like the big 10 with only one team in a national championship this century should have probably changed that when given the opportunity instead of forming a bond with two other conferences who are also just trying to act out of their own best interests so if you're a fan of the four-team playoff Thank the Alliance, clap it up for them as well. They deserve it. Mm -hmm. They made you happy. And if you're Greg Sankey, keep counting the money, keep counting the national championship rings. Sankey saying that they're gonna change their position is certainly interesting as well. And as Matt Hayes wrote, first of 10, go read that, saturdaydownsouth.com. This is kind of the beginning of the SEC versus the world officially, mm -hmm. not so much within the confines of the 14 playoff, but now actually getting to the point where they could just theoretically have their own separate things and have the champion of the SEC play the non-SEC champion and just kind of call it a day. And if that's the direction we're heading in, I don't really hate that. It kind of sucks that we wouldn't get to see some of these non-conference games, but it feels like that's what the Alliance is trying to combat in its own dumb, unique way. And they're not even w being willing to move off the nine game conference schedules, which is- Which has only, only <sighs> helped them. I mean, if there's one thing I can say about the nine team conference schedule is that it's really helped these teams progress and achieve their goals. Yeah, uh, but the Alliance is gonna continue to just try and make noise, just wants to be heard wants to do something and um, taking money out of their own pockets and not being willing to change a system in which they are at a significant disadvantage of, you know, that that just 
doesn't seem wise to me, but then again, I'm not Kevin Warren. Um, thank God. So, yeah, thank God. What an awkward podcast this would be if I, if I were Kevin Warren. Do you think I could? No, never mind. I'm not going down that road. Okay. I was going to say, do you think I could imitate Kevin Warren? I don't honestly know what Kevin Warren sounds like. I feel like he has like a very Bond movie villain-esque vibe to me because I never, I never, I just hear the statements he puts out. Yeah, they're, they're not good. You don't really need to hear Kevin Warren say a whole lot. Um, and quite frankly, what he says uh, probably is universal within that room and the Alliance will just come out with some sort of written statement. So yeah, we won't be hearing his voice a whole lot in the immediate future. Uh, anything else playoff related that you wanted to, to hit on? No, I mean, we've talked about it. It's like, you know, dread it, run from it. The SEC is coming. You really can't. I mean, like the situation you just laid out where it's the SEC championship champion versus the other, like the outside of the SEC champion might be the only way they can stop two, three teams from getting in. Getting in. But like Coach Rose said, you know, we're coming. We ain't backing down. I think Oklahoma, Texas might be delayed as well. Uh, the, initially thinking that that was going to happen as soon as 2022. Now, from the SEC standpoint, it's kind of like, well, you know what? If you're not going to get the 12-team playoff, it actually kind of makes a little bit of sense to hold off on that right. and not maybe load up your conference even more when you're getting one or two teams into the field. Maybe doesn't make as much sense to do that yet and to pull forward. So the sense of urgency maybe not there. That's maybe the only other takeaway that I had from this whole this whole. Mess. Listen here, Northerners. Here we are in the Southeast, the vision of progress. Okay, as per usual, everyone talks about how backwards everything is in the South. No, no, here we are pushing for innovation in the Southeastern Conference. And what are you guys doing? Just clutching your pearls and hanging on to the past. So that's fine. Keep it going. It's inevitable. They're nice pearls. They're really nice pearls. Steeped with tradition, they are. Mm -hmm. All right, let's kick it to Mike Elko. Talked a little bit about Jimbo, the NIL reaction about sort of being judged as a defensive mind in this era of high-powered offenses and kind of what that's like to go into an interview knowing that. Um, I had only chatted with Elko uh, once, five years ago, during a trip to, to IMG, which, Will, you were there. Yep. You might remember that day. Um, so I, I enjoyed the chance to be able to, to catch up with him. Here is Mike Elko. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Duke head coach Mike Elko. Mike, you've been on the job for about two and a half months now. We were talking a little bit before we came on here. Uh, have you had time to do the moving thing yet? Are, are you sleeping on an air mattress in the office? What, what's that been like so far? Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the hotel that is uh, located as close to campus as I could possibly find. Uh, I've learned how to get from the hotel to my office, and that's uh, that's about the extent of it. We kind of Kind of got the process of moving going a little bit, but that's going to be more of a, of a summer project. Uh, still focused on getting this thing up and running the way we need it to. This opportunity, it's been a, a long time coming for you. 13 seasons as an FBS defensive coordinator, four different programs, the last four of which, of course, at Texas A&M. Timing is everything in life. And I, I remember thinking before the start of this season, that the timing was really going to make a lot of sense for you to have a head coaching job at the end of that, of the end of the 2021 season, your son going off to college, playing baseball at Northwestern. You guys were going to have a really special group on that side at A&M. And it just, it, it all finally lined up for you in the right sort of way. Why, why was the timing right for you to be able to take that next step? Yeah, I think it was less about the timing, to be honest, Connor, and more about the opportunity. I think I've always been kind of focused on on making sure that that when I did ultimately step into this chair, that I did it at a place that I felt comfortable with and I believed in. And, and so I think when this opportunity came about, I think this one just kind of aligned with with a lot of what I believe and a lot of what I stand for. 
Um, I think we can run the program that I want to run here, and I think we can elevate this football program uh, to, to a pretty pretty high level in this conference. And so I think it was more about Duke and the opportunity than the timing, to be honest. You talk to people in this industry. In this era of college football, do you think defensive-minded head coaches are at any sort of a disadvantage during the hiring process? Yeah, I, I certainly feels that way a little bit at times, although, although I always have come back with, you know, when you look at what's going on in the playoffs every year, you know, you've got Luke Fickle, you've got Nick Saban, you've got Kirby Smart, uh, you've got defensive-minded head coaches at the top of the game in so many ways. But, but yeah, it does feel like at times it's a little hurdle. Um, everyone assumes we don't know anything about offensive football and uh, we just want to win games seven to three. And, and so, you know, I think over the years, though, you just kind of learn how to, how to talk through it and uh, kind of put your story across and present yourself. I got to ask about a couple of guys that you had at A&M. Um, I've got a theory that DeMarvin Leal, he was so good and he had such great endurance that there should have been a rule that he had to leave the field one play per possession just to give the offensive line a break to catch its breath. What do you, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, no, we weren't taking him off the field no matter what. No, I mean, DeMarvin was such a special player and uh, I think he's just such a unique blend of, of a kid who can play on the edge, also play inside. Um, he's got a great work ethic. He's got a high motor. He's a great character kid. He was a great leader for us. Um, he just did so many things for our defense and, and our team. Uh, and we put a lot on him. We asked a lot of him and he delivered uh, and, and really helped us put together a pretty special unit. I've been trying to get out ahead of this for a little while. Uh, I think Antonio Johnson deserves to be a household name in college football, should be starting off as an All-American coming into next season. I, I, I love the way that you used him in a variety of different spots and even being able to just say, hey, go, go rush the quarterback. Go just try and, and, and just be a problem in the middle of, of your defense. Why, why is he someone that should become a household name for all college football fans? Yeah, well, well, I'm on that bandwagon too. So if that helps you get the train rolling, I'm, I'm all <laughs> for it. I think he's, uh, he's an extremely special player. I just think he's got such a natural instinct to be a football playmaker. And, and you know, you say the different things that I, I did with him or that we did with him to put him in position. Really, he did it so much in his own way because he was such a dynamic kid. He forced us to find ways to get him involved. Like as, as you're scheming with a kid like that, you never want to be like, Oh, he's, he's not going to be involved in this play. Like he forced you to figure out how to get him involved and how to make him the blitzer, or make him the guy covering the right receiver, or uh, he's just got such a unique skill set. And uh, you know, this was really, you know, he was a, he was a non mid-year COVID kid. Right. And so he still hasn't even truly seen the, the peak of what he's capable of becoming getting a full off season after a full year starting. Like I, I think what you saw from him this year really is just the start of it. I think you're going to see an unbelievable player next year in the SEC and Antonio Johnson. I know you've talked about this uh, in the past, but I, I want to go back to when Jimbo gives you that call, when you're at Notre Dame, you have this great defense, you lead him to the playoff and a lot of people in your spot, it's like, all right, I, I'm not going to leave a position like this unless it's for a head coaching gig. And there are a lot of people who look at anything that Jimbo does and they just assume, oh, it's because of money. It's because of college station, deep pockets, all those things. But we've talked a lot with this Auburn stuff that's been going on about alignment and how important that is to be able to have within an administration. 
Yeah. How important was that in your decision to ultimately leave South Bend and go to a place at Texas A&M where you know all the resources are there and you're going to be working with the best athletes in all of college football? Yeah, I've never made a decision in my career for money. I think that's that's one of the worst things you can do in this coaching profession. I think you see guys get wrapped up in, in oh, this is a little bit more money or this is a lot more money, and you wind up in bad situations. I, I went to Texas A&M because I believed in Jimbo. I believed in what Texas A&M could be, and uh, and maybe he maybe he's a better recruiter than anyone gives him credit for because he sold me on it a little bit. But um, I just I felt like that was the right spot, and you know obviously there's there's an allure of the SEC. I, I certainly didn't want to go through my career without ever experiencing it. Uh, as I look through it, Texas A&M seemed like the right place for me and my family to be part of it. And, uh, you know, it was an awesome four year experience. I learned so much working with him. Um, and you're right. I, I don't think people, for whatever reason, people don't want to give him the credit he deserves um, for the job that he does. Uh, it's not just money. And Texas A&M is a really special place uh, across the board. 2020, everyone in the college football world is debating A&M versus Notre Dame. Was that awkward for you, given the time that you, you spent there and having to deal with all these you know, pundits talking about that for, for the final playoff spot? Yeah, you don't ever want you don't ever want to be involved in those conversations uh, with people that, you know, and respect, you know, because it feels like it feels like you're slighting them. You know, every time you advocate for yourself, you feel like you're slighting them. And, and I never wanted to do that. You know, they had a really good year. We had a really good year. I felt like being a nine and one SEC football team uh, earned us a right to make that playoff, uh, it seems to every year uh, before and after that season. Um, but also, also, I respect the job that they did that year, and they had a really good year too. So, um, But it would have been nice to get in. I felt like we deserved it. Yeah, you, you talk about the not giving Jimbo credit, and now something that I'm sure you're going to be looking out for as a, as a head coach and being kind of under the microscope all the time is – Am I getting credit for the things I should be getting credit for? I'm curious your take on the whole deal with Jimbo talking about signing day, the NIL stuff. What, what's, what was your takeaway from that? And maybe what's been your biggest takeaway just from the NIL era in general? Yeah, Jimbo signed the number one recruiting class in the country to Texas A&M. And, and when you do that, you deserve praise. And point blank, there's really no other way to look at it. I just think it's uh, to look at it any other way is unfair. Uh, it takes so much work. It takes so many people. It takes an effort from such a large group to do that, um, to try to turn this into any other story, um, to me, just isn't right. Uh, I, think it, I think it deserves a ton of praise that he was able to go out and land the class that he did. Yeah, and we're, we're not, we don't need to get into bro Bible or sliced bread or anything like that. Yeah, uh, no, no, that's not my world. That's, <laughs> you can ask him. You can talk to him about that stuff. I just, no, I, I mean, I, I, I hear where he's coming from. You just want somebody to say, like, Hey, congrats. You signed the number one class in the country. That's awesome. And that's, instead, what, that's what you deserve when you do that. So it doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah. Instead, you got Lane talking about luxury taxes and whatnot and that whole mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Shifting gears a little bit. I've always wondered about this. You take over a place with essentially a top sports bucket list venue in your backyard. Obviously, yeah. you want to highlight the football program, facilities, yeah. all those different things. But how much have you used Cameron Indoor to your advantage in recruiting so far in these first two and a half months? Yeah, I mean, you'd be crazy not to. I think you're you're selling a vision of what Duke football is capable of becoming because you see what, you know, not only Duke basketball, but really a lot of our other sports have become. You know, this is, this is a campus where a lot of our schools are competing 
at the highest level. They're winning ACC championships. They're competing for national championships. Uh, and we're able to attract elite student athletes to come here, uh, people who really want the best of both worlds in their experience. And um, so we're just trying to translate that into football. And we're pointing to them and saying, hey, look, look what they're doing. Hey, look what our, our women's golf team is doing. Hey, look what our baseball team is doing. Um, this is not a shot in the dark that we're taking telling you that Duke football can elevate to a competitive situation. It's happening on our campus all over the place. Um, we just want to get our, our situation fixed and, and get it where it needs to be. I won't tell on you, and we, you can keep this between us. That's totally fine. I, I know I'd be guilty of this. Have you snuck off during after hours to just go in there and kind of get some shots up? Uh, so I don't know if you saw the foul shot. So the foul shot went in. So they had me out at half court or at, uh, at center court at halftime the other night. I had to make a foul shot. So that went right through the net. So you, can, <laughs> you can see that on social media and, and give me a little props for nailing that one. But uh, no, I, it, it's certainly a venue, right? The, the first time I went out when I got named head coach and walked out to center court and, and I'm standing at center court at Cameron and Coach K comes over and shakes your hand. And it, it, it's a surreal feeling. There's no doubt about it. Coach K, that relationship is that like, do you feel like he's promoting you and, you know, have, have you, have you guys been able to have those conversations yet? Or is it kind of like, Hey, you've got a million things to worry about. And he's obviously mid season right now. Uh, I mean, he's been great. Like, I don't want to sit down and say we've had a ton of uh, sit downs. He's in the middle of his season and trying to go win a national championship. And I certainly got my hands full right now, but you know, we've connected, we've, we've connected on text quite a bit and uh, I was able to go over there and spend some time with them and, and visit with them a little bit, him and coach Shire and, um, you know, hopefully be able to utilize those guys as resources moving forward. Once, you know, my life slows down and their season ends, I think will probably be a better time for that. I know you gotta, you gotta run here. I got five rapid fire questions. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah, you got it. All right. First one, best offensive mind you've ever faced. Jimbo. Good answer. Uh, two biggest problem in college football right now, a targeting B faking injuries or C the transfer portal. See the transfer portal. It's not even close. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let's go back to the Notre Dame thing. Have you ever faked a Southern accent? No, never. <laughs> Best piece of advice you've ever been given was what? Uh, do the best you can at the place you're at. and Good opportunities will come to you. I love that. I love that. Um, last one here. You're about to be rivals with my guy, Gene Chizik, now that he's the defensive coordinator at North Carolina. My question is just simply, uh, can you be nice to him? Of course. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for Gene. Gene. Gene, to me, is not a Carolina guy. Gene's the SEC broadcaster who had a lot of nice things to say about me over, over the years. So uh, now is probably the right time for, for Gene to be a DC, me to be a head coach. It works out well. Love it, Mike. This has been great. Uh, it's been fun getting to, to see your eyes. Best of luck with everything, man. Yeah, appreciate you, Connor. Appreciate you having me on. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Excellent subject for today's figuring it out. We're talking about leaving a job before anyone gets any ideas here. <laughs> Neither of us. <laughs> Neither of us are. Uh, we're not leaving our jobs on this podcast. Do not worry. This isn't some think tank that we concocted ahead of time. What a way to do that. That would be though. Like if, <laughs> Speaking of leaving jobs, leaving. I have an announcement. Have some hats on there and just put on like a Fox Sports hat. Be like, I'm right. a boy. 
Yeah, what a, what a way to go out that would be. Now I almost kind of want to do that. No, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I, I've thought about a lot over the last few years and watching friends and colleagues go through it and even people that I don't know, I think it's one of those subjects that everybody has their own unique experiences with it. And honestly, haven't really done it a whole lot. I'm not one of these people who's gone to like six different jobs mm-hmm. um, after college or anything like that. I've left part-time jobs before. Uh, leaving as a stringer though in this business is pretty easy because you're only covering like two games a week and you're not full-time which that's basically what i was doing when i was doing the daily herald stuff local newspaper chicago land area and i was doing that after i got back from my internship um and yeah. so quitting I, as a stringer is just deleting slack being like figure right out. <laughs> we yeah. didn't even have y'all, oh, y'all need 20, me too bad. dude 2012 slack no we weren't on that level yet that's no fair. way yeah, this this era, definitely, that, that's pretty much all it takes. But yeah, leaving as a stringer, you're kind of just like, well, yep, you don't really, I don't really owe you anything. You don't really owe me anything. We kind of understood the agreement. It's pretty easy to leave. Um, and I actually almost, I forgot about this. I had just started working as a freelancer at the Journal and Courier in Lafayette, Indiana, which was Lauren's paper at the mm-hmm. time. And I would visit her and I thought, might as well make some money while I'm here, if she's gonna have some nights where she's working, so I'll just go, go cover a high school basketball game. That's what I was doing back home in Chicago anyway, so might as well try and take advantage of that opportunity. So I think at the time, I was stringing for three different papers, um, and then one of them that I was about to start in January was 20 hours a week, and Northwest Herald, that's what it was, suburbs of Chicago, and I was about to do this new role with them, covering high school games, do some digital content, work a little bit in the newsroom. And right as I was about to start, I got the full-time job in Kearney, Nebraska, working um, as a sports writer at the newspaper there. And I remember thinking that, yeah, this is gonna be awkward. This is gonna be a little awkward because I went through training, did that whole thing, met people in the newsroom, and I was excited to get started. And instead of sending them a message, saying, hey, you know, I can start on this day. I think I had my first day that I was supposed to come in and I called them and said, ah, man, I, I, had, I, I can't turn down a full-time opportunity like this. And so, I, but it, the reason I decided it was worth it was the same exact reason why they sort of understood what I was doing, right? That's a built-in thing right there. It's not like I, I said, no, I can't do this. It's not, it's just not for me. And I was bailing at the last second. That would kind of suck. Full-time versus part-time is, is pretty easy. That's open and shut. Just bad timing. Had to tell Northwest Herald, had to tell Journal and Courier that I was heading to Nebraska. And leaving my job in Nebraska to come here wasn't awkward at all. I mean, it really wasn't. I had told my boss when I first got interviews at a couple different places uh, that, look, this this is gonna be happening. I want you to be kind of aware of this. We had that type of a relationship where I could be transparent with him. I could say, just kind of wanted you to, to, to you know, not be in the dark. I didn't want to just come in here one day and be like, hey, I'm leaving in, in 10 days. Those are difficult jobs to hire for. And I, I had seen what it was like on that end to try and hire just because not everybody wants to come out to central Nebraska and start their first job out of college. It's just not a given. So um, I had an interview with the local paper in Ames, Iowa. Have I ever told you this, Mm-mm. the way this went? So um, I had an interview with the paper in Ames that went really well. And I would have been covering 
Iowa State women's basketball. They were in the top 25 every year. So it was like a pretty solid beat, you know, and getting to cover, you know, power five beat was what I was seeking at my my second job. And then I would also been able to do a little bit of football stuff, a little bit of basketball stuff as well. So pretty standard, good opportunity. Guy that I did the interview with, awesome dude, guy named Bobby Legessi, who he's not in journalism anymore, but I came away from the interview thinking this is exactly the type of person that I would love to be able to work for. And uh, I thought I was about to get offered that job. And so I I went through the interview process and I was feeling like an an offer was gonna be coming in in the next couple days. And then I was offered this job Mm. after I went through a pretty quick interview process. Uh, which at the time wasn't exactly this job. I shouldn't say that it was this exact job because it was running our Big Ten site, Saturday Tradition. Right. Go check it out. So it was different. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of, every once in a while we'll get people be like, oh my God, is this company just trying to rip off what Saturday Down South is doing? It's like, no, it's owned by the same exact people and we're all one company and we work together. Um, but whatever, that's a different story for a different time. So this is why I can't be a professional because I would just make up a conspiracy <laughs> theory. I'd be like, no, 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 be cool, be cool. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, So doing that job and deciding that I was going to be leaving Nebraska included me coming down to Orlando where our offices used to be here um, with Saturday Down South. And the guy who hired me, who no longer works for for our company, he wanted me to come down like the following week, Mm -hmm. which, buddy, I'll tell you what, that stressed me the crap out. (laughs) And mid-July, so they wanted me locked in for the start of the college football season, and I pushed back on that. And that's one thing maybe to, to remember in this process, of like, don't kill yourself getting to your next job if you don't necessarily have to. Right. I kind of knew a little bit of like, all right, he's not gonna pull the offer if I say, give me another week, just let me do the two weeks thing. I'm not asking for two months here. I'm not saying, hey, we need to, you know, we need to, we need to make this last and I'm gonna come in three months or something. Just give me another week after that. Give me, my, let me, give me a chance to do the two weeks notice. And even that was really, really difficult and stressful because I didn't know anyone in Orlando. I wanted to be able to finish a couple of things in Nebraska on top of learning everything I possibly could about the Big Ten going into that 2015 season. The leaders, the legends, I mean, come on. They were east and west by that time. Let's let's dial it back. They, which again, these are the types of things you got to learn. You can't make those jokes <laughs> the first day on the job. They're not going to go over well. If wait, you're starting was it only the Tenside. leaders and legends for one season? Because I thought 2015 would have been about there. Was it just 2014? Uh, 2014 was when they switched. Because 2014 was when they added Maryland and Rutgers, and they had to go off in a different way with with the divisions. See, wow! Look at this, a pro. <laughs> Leaders and Legends were actually the divisions. If you go back and look at the power dynamics in them, they actually were much better than what the East and West currently is. But they just got bullied into this. In fact, whenever um, the SEC adds Oklahoma and Texas, just make make the Leaders and Legends in the SEC to really anger the Alliance, I say. Yeah. Oh, gosh, the Alliance would hate that. They would never be down for that. Um, So so anyways, I, I did the two weeks notice thing. And I had a small going away party, and not even a going away party. It was a handful of coworkers, and just having a few beers, local bar, nothing, nothing crazy or anything like that. It wasn't like we, you know, got hammered or something like that. Just a couple hours there, reminisce, and you know, send me on my way. And it, it was pretty emotional for me. Like I'll, I'll be honest, first job out of college, and you know, I kind of went there not really knowing much of anything or anyone, and figured out a lot of things while I was there, but. It wasn't awkward because my boss knew I was going to, I was going to be on the move eventually, right? Like he didn't think 
this guy out of college who came, who went to Indiana, who has family in the suburbs of Chicago. He's like, this guy's not going to be here for 20 years. Uh, not to sound arrogant or anything right, like that, yeah. but it, it like was kind of understood. Going, man, you just, you never know. But anyway, it was one of those things where I, I was glad that I spent two and a half years there recent college grad, moved on, and that really helped me because I didn't have to explain to anyone why I was leaving. You know, it was just, all right, kind of understood, guy in his mid-20s, this is, this is the next step in life. Will, you've left jobs before. How have you managed that? Yeah, I think the best way to go, right, is the, um, Brian Scalabrini told this story one time where he said that he basically got this contract extension, I guess it was to the Celtics, and he was on the Nets, and he went and came back and talked to the uh, the Nets GM and was like, hey, you know, here's the contract they offered me. And he thought that the Nets GM would be like, oh, like, you know, we're going to like match that, whatever. He's like, you you got what? No, get get out of here. You need to take that. Like that, yes. that is like the best type of situation to have where it's like, hey, like you tell your current boss, like, yo, um, I got this offer. This is my salary. This is my role. And they're just like, yes, take that. This isn't like close to the same thing. It's either in a different role or it's a different compensation package. So um, yeah, I uh, I had a very similar one, obviously with SDS. I think it was a really good split there, obviously because I'm I'm still here. But like very similar. It was like, hey, I'm just gonna get away from sports, do something completely different. Like here's kind of like what like that looks like for me. Just because like out of college, my first job was SDS, and you know I was like, ah, I'm gonna do something a little bit more co corporate so I can get those reps under my belt. You know what I'm saying? Just in the effort of whenever I move up later in my career, it's not gonna be me going to an office for the first time, you know what I'm saying, when I'm, you know, 30. Um, so that was a conversation I had. It was, that was a really good one, I think. And obviously we continued working with SDS for a while or to this day, so that was good. But yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is like, you gotta be transparent with people. You gotta be, you gotta be like, let people know like, hey, here's what I'm looking for in this world. You know, here are my priorities. Uh, let them know when those aren't being fulfilled. And I think it's like, we've had several people in my current company kind of do that. And you know, if you are, we've talked about like, you know what I'm saying, like asking for promotions and stuff, but I would say like nine out of 10 jobs would rather you just be like, hey, here's how I'm feeling. I'm going to begin looking if that's okay with you because I don't have X, Y, and Z met. And then that way it's not as much of a blind side. That, that's the best way to do it is to just be like, hey, you know, here's the plan, da, da, da. But there's always the, hey, you get a dream job out of nowhere and you just gotta dip. And if that's the case, then you just gotta yeah. dip. You gotta do what's good for you, man. Like you were talking about with the papers. It's like, hey, look, man, this is, I got full time going to Kearney, Nebraska. See ya. You can't not take a job because you don't wanna have an awkward conversation, right? You, you can't be holding yourself back just because you feel bad right. about a certain situation. Now, obviously, there are there are more factors that go into that and there are certain situations in which look if you just accept a full-time job and do the the josh gaddis at maryland thing and then all of a sudden boom two seconds later you decide hey you're going up to michigan or oh you know the kevin Steele at maryland thing this isn't just a maryland coordinator podcast i promise but kevin Steele goes to maryland and then oh by the way i'm actually going to be going to miami mm -hmm. like i would feel bad doing that and that would be awkward but at the same time it's hard to turn your back on some of those opportunities when, like Zach Garnett, Zach Garnett gets the Syracuse job, and then two weeks later, Mike Leach says, hey, come work for me at Mississippi State. Total autonomy on that side of the ball, all those things, and that kind of changes as, you know, with each situation, but I do think it's really interesting to kind of look at all those different dynamics and and, and figure out what is best for you and what's the, what's the, the best way to not make the situation suck for everyone involved. 
we asked the Facebook group, what is the least awkward way to leave a job? Is two weeks notice still the way to go? Going away party, yeah or nah? And have you ever messed up leaving a job horribly? Again, horror stories are always welcome on this podcast. I don't right. have to explain that. Okay, let's uh, let's go to uh, Cameron Jalufka. Jalufka. Cameron says, this is incredibly timely. I am in the process of leaving my current job in beer distribution to completely change fields. I was nervous contacting a manager I trusted about using him as a reference since in the past people have gotten fired after putting in their two weeks. Thankfully, everything went smoothly and my last day will be Friday. I can't wait for the next chapter. P.S. No one ever talks about how scummy it feels to take job interviews on your current job's lunch break. There's this thing at my at my wife's company that whenever somebody says that they're going to a doctor's appointment, her boss just assumes they're interviewing for another job <laughs> every single time. And you know, Lauren has had various appointments over the years, and she's she's never interviewed for another job while she's had this job. But she's she's had to like talk her boss off the ledge because she <laughs> is the most valuable like person at her company, and it's not even close. Um, and she will always have to say like. Hey, I'm not. I'm just leaving to to go get lunch. I have this appointment or I'm, this organization that I'm part of, and I'm. I promise I'm not going to interview for another job. That's a great point, though, that I forget about in all of this because my job has changed so much now, working remotely, where I never would even like even in the wildest world in which you know I'm interviewing for another job, I wouldn't have to necessarily juggle that as opposed to making the awkward step of yeah, I'm going out for lunch and I'll be back in an hour and a half. Have you ever found yourself in that place where you've been interviewing for another job? Like during that, you've had to kind of hide it while you're at the workplace? Um, no, because yeah, I've pretty much been remote most of my employment at this point. Um, I've definitely like taken clients with my um, production company on my like, you know, like day job work break, but that, or like lunch break, but I always made sure and did it close and got out of there within the time. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing too, is like, yeah, I mean, working remotely has been such a game changer for everybody and showing us how we can maximize our time. But you're right, if you're going in, man, that's one of those, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like you, if they're kind of onto you, you know what I'm saying, and you didn't do it the right way, that could get so oh, awkward yeah. because it's like, uh, yeah, okay, man, you didn't, you don't have three ear, nose, and throat specialist appointments in back-to-back weeks. Like, get it together, bro. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing too. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be one to tell your boss, hey, I'm, I'm going through the interview process, you better probably be really close to getting one of these jobs. Yep. Because how awkward is that going to be for you if you're going on interviews and it's kind of understood? Which, by the way, do that on your own time. Don't do that on your current company's time. Talk about a bad way to, to leave an impression if you can. And now I would hope that everybody with Zoom capabilities, you can try. And some of these I, I realize are in person. That's a little bit more difficult to juggle. But if your new company wants to hire you, hopefully they'll be willing to, to be flexible with you and do that kind of not during your current company's time. Mm -hmm. But how awkward that can get if you're going on these interviews you're not getting these jobs but you're considered kind of a lame duck employee and how weird that is um avoid that if you can and just be be like all right you know i've gotten multiple calls for this and i feel pretty good about my chances of getting this job that's when you say you don't initially say hey i have started the process of applying for jobs right i started applying for jobs like months before i got those those two you know those two potential opportunities there and I wouldn't have said at the time, hey boss, I, I just wanted to let you know, like I thought I was getting this job in Laramie, in Wyoming. 
and uh, I had one interview for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, interview went pretty well, like went pretty well, but I ultimately didn't end up getting the job and I would have been, I would have ended up covering Josh Allen, as crazy as that sounds. I would have been the beat reporter there um, covering Wyoming football Imagine and covering Wyoming football and basketball. Up in Wyoming, bro. Oh, right? Like there's, there's a photographer from my college newspaper who worked up there and he had some extreme facial hair. Got to. Unbelievable photographer, Ryan Dorgan, this guy who shoots for like the New York Times when they need a photo in Wyoming. Like he's the, he was the <laughs> he's guy. He's the guy, he's the plug. He's seriously, like, and his photos are unbelievable. But yeah, and I thought, oh, hey, maybe this will go well. But I didn't, I did not tell my boss about, hey, I had this interview and it went pretty well because I thought I was still, I would still have to go through multiple steps afterwards. That was the vibe that I sort of got. And so I didn't feel like, hey, I'm on the brink of, of leaving my job with a phone call tomorrow. So that's maybe a little bit of a different scenario, but use your best judgment there and just understand that other people are involved. Let's do, okay. This one from Drew Page. Drew says, about six months ago, my best friend got hired at a factory that dealt with vending machines and he was horribly underqualified. Uh, the first week there, he lost them about $40,000 and continually, continually lost them thousands of dollars every single week until he and his assistant snuck in after hours and left their resignations on their boss's desk. <laughs> Buddy, nobody won from that. That is a, you talk, Michael, when Michael is trying to come up with conflict resolution and Angela has the poster of the babies playing instruments mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out the best way for Oscar to have to deal with it. And Michael is coming up with win, 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 <laughs> win, 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 lose, win. And no scenario that we just, no, that, this is 100% lose, lose, lose. Everybody lost all around. On top of that, sneaking your letter of resignation in after hours, it's kind of a weak move. That's, I think that's, I think you should be able to have those conversations face to face at the very least over the phone. Mm -hmm. Chances are they knew it too. Oh yeah. You know, like they, they know, hey, this isn't working out. You're losing us a lot of money. If you don't quit, you're going to get fired. That's reality. Yeah. They probably saw the writing on the wall there. You could have gone about that in a different way. And instead, that person probably has to just pretend like that chapter on the resume doesn't exist. You can't put that on your resume. You can't. Because if they call, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the fun. Like, the thing about that is, like, once I got to the point where I had this job and I was not good at it, no way I'm quitting, first off. I'm already in. You're going to have to get me up out of here. Second, if I had decided I was quitting that job, that quitting conversation would be so enjoyable from the employee perspective because it'd be like, so you know I suck at this, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you could have the funniest, like, most non-embarrassing, self-deprecating conversation. Just be like, hey, man, so, like, you see that you could hire, like, a Labrador to do my job and it would be better, right? Like, I need to go. Like, this is not, like, this is not working out. Like, that's a lot less stressful than quitting a job that you were, like, a valued member of the team. That's why it's awkward. They value you. And the good news is sometimes you actually will will help out your company by doing that. Right. So you take all the awkwardness out of it. Lauren deals with that all the time where she'll have, you know, an employee who's just not working out and they have this 90 day window yep. at her company. And if it's not working out very, very often, the employee will know and they'll let, her, they'll let Lauren's boss know, hey, 
this just isn't for me. It's not working out. Right. And usually, as much as it, it, it's it's frustrating as a, as an employer to have to step back and be like, all right, we got to go through the interview process again. It's almost a bit of a relief at the time to not have to have that off group conversation and say that you're fired. And instead, getting out ahead of it. So, just being aware is is key in situations like this. Uh, let's do I this one from Caleb Tillman's is a bit long. Um, well, I don't like doing too many of the long ones. I appreciate all the responses, trust me, but I don't like doing too many long ones. We'll do this one though. Caleb says, uh, I think two weeks notice is still the way to go, even if it's incredibly awkward to have that conversation. Never good to just leave someone high and dry, but longer than two weeks only makes it worse. My worst experience leaving a job I had as a youth pastor as a church, I offered to go ahead and stay through the end of the semester so these kids didn't suddenly have to learn someone new halfway through. We stuck with that for about six weeks. Then the lead pastor called me and said there was no need for me to come back next week. I didn't even get the chance to come back and say goodbye to, to the kids that I was promised. So all kinds of rumors spread about why I was suddenly gone, including a rumor that I was secretly a Nazi. Oh, Whoa. yeah. Oh, that coming? love the uh, church drama, bro. Like, you're just geez. accusing people of being a Nazi because they, all right, cool. Yeah. And Caleb also adds, in hindsight, I certainly would have rather put two weeks in and left on my own terms. Yes, in hindsight, 100%. Because at that point, you, you that's, that's not probably a future reference at all. If you're leaving on your own terms, you should, in theory, be able to use that, that, that job as a reference, right? You have probably messed up somewhere if you are leaving on your own terms and you can't use that place as a reference, mm -hmm. right? You probably messed up some point in that process. You either burned a bridge with what you did from the time that you said you were leaving, you had some sort of thing where you didn't fulfill your contract and that's awkward and that gets really messy, or you just bungled the entire thing. I don't necessarily know that Caleb bungled this though, because you're trying to do the thing, you, you know, the big picture thing, help everybody out. You can only do so much, but probably having a constant stream of communication throughout that process, that way it doesn't feel like you're getting blindsided would have been helpful because yeah, especially in the church community, man, those rumors, whew, they can run amok in a hurry. Yeah, I just, I have, I'll just say someone close to me who works in, in the church community. And yeah, it's insane, dude. It's just like, yeah, like, what? <laughs> like, you hear the most wild, because it's you're like, whenever your job is tied to like a form of morality, right? It's always gonna be, and you see this a little bit as a sports reporter where it's like, we are a reporter out there tweeting these jokes. It's like a hundred times that if you're at a um, church, cause it's like, oh well, yeah, you, you're not, you know, leaving a proper two weeks notice or doing whatever. But yeah, I mean, Caleb, I feel like, like you said, he did all the right things. And my thing is like, I almost never err on the side of being like too kind in those situations, which is like kind of a bad way to put it out loud, but it's like, if you're like, oh yeah, no, I got it. I'll stay as long as you want, like da 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 da. You're, he's right, that's how it gets messy. So like you gotta also kind of have like a little bit of like, okay, my final day will be boom, thank you, yes. figure it out. As opposed to just like, yeah, I'll stay till whenever because then like you think you're doing people a favor when in reality they, after a while, just kind of start taking advantage of you or just, you know, not appreciating you. Great point, and you have to be direct in that communication. You you have to say, all right, let's let's figure out the end date. I don't want this to be this this weird kind of half goodbye, because in a lot of different situations it can just get messy. And then they're, they're maybe trying to hire for your position. They they don't even probably know when they can tell that next person to start. Right, and that gets weird too. So yeah, just 
Communication, once it's already out there, just be as direct as possible. Don't rub it in somebody's face. Oh, hey, I'm leaving, especially when for it's, if it's for a bigger and better opportunity or something. Right. But just kind of be mindful and understand that everybody's kind of got a job here and there's, there's an easier way to go about this than kind of tiptoeing around it and hoping that it just kind of all works out in the end. Connor, when you moved from Nebraska to Orlando, how long did it take you before you put out your first like Gus Malzahn pick? Like when you were like, beautiful day here in Florida. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I moved in late July, so I waited until the winter. I waited until probably <laughs> November, the first snow maybe back mm -hmm. in the Midwest. When I'm looking around, and I'm like, it's it's still 85 here. Um, I'm I'm not hating this one bit, but I waited. I, and I it wasn't like a shot at Nebraska. It was a shot at the entire place, or the the entire you know where I grew up and spent my entire life. Anti-Midwest podcast. Heard it first. <laughs> Let's see this one from Nick Jones. Nick says, really depends on the company and industry and your relationship with the boss, uh, man slash lady. Um, could have just cut it off at boss. Boss, <laughs> man, women. That's all right. Sure, yeah. uh, what when I was planning my move to Denver, I gave my old company like two months notice because I had been there for three plus years. Really loved the company. It was trying to see if I could work for them remotely. Unfortunately, they wouldn't let me work remotely, but really appreciated I gave so much notice and worked the full two months up until my move. My girlfriend, on the other hand, gave her company a similar amount of notice and they essentially showed her the door way before our move and she was out of work a month longer than she needed to be. Biggest lesson learned was you really need to look out for your own interests, not the company's, and give two weeks notice because you never know if they're gonna give you the boot before you actually finish the notice period. And a formal going away party is kind of old school and awkward. Just grab beers with your closest coworkers. You'll keep in touch with the ones you like. Agree 100% on that last part. Yep. Um, with significant others leaving, I left that part out. By me, taking that taking this job and working for this company lauren was still in nebraska and so the our our agreement what we had we had told each other was all right you, you know come down in six months whether you have a job or not you'll be down in six months and lauren i'm i'm grateful that she was willing to make that move after she was the one who moved out to nebraska to to be with me out there as well but her company it's like, hey, we know your boyfriend just moved to Orlando. <laughs> we see the ghost girls uh, on pictures. All right, we know it's coming. Yeah, right? Or I guess fiance at the time. Right. But um, she's then in an awkward spot and they can kind of see that coming, mm -hmm. but there were definitely a few points where she's like, well, I haven't told them, hey, it's six months and I'm gone, but I do need to kind of make them aware. And so she waited to announce until a few weeks before she was leaving. Now we are we had that plan hatched out, but if she had basically been like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving in six months no matter what, then I wouldn't have necessarily blamed if her employer looked for any excuse possible to kind of just start that process and be able to move on because the more notice they have and the, the easier maybe they can make that transition instead of going to her cutout date, like cutoff date, they, they go by their own terms. It is awkward. And I, 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 it sucked that I that I put her in that spot because she knew she was coming down and her employer figured it out eventually. They weren't like, oh, hey, you're gonna stay here for 20 years as well and just live away from your significant other. And that's maybe more of a problem that we've dealt with, that millennials I think have dealt with, Gen Z's dealing with it now, getting on college and all those things. But um, something that, that should be addressed and probably kind of tread lightly in those spots because I couldn't have told Lauren's coworkers 
hey, she's coming down in six months, right? Regardless, just kind of weird though. It is weird. Hope to not have to do that, anything like that again. Mm -hmm. Now that we're married, it's a little bit different. Man, you're set up, man. So did you like, how did she find a job in Orlando? Like, did she already have one lined up when she came down and she started that process while she was? You know, it's, and that's, that's the other thing is it's sometimes difficult to, and I know we're talking about leaving jobs, but starting jobs when you're not in that specific city is, is difficult mm -hmm. because pretty much when she was applying for jobs while she was still living in Nebraska, she still had the Nebraska address. Yep. And they're like, oh, she probably doesn't want to move down here to, to central Florida or something like that. And so it was difficult for her to apply for jobs when she was in Nebraska, despite the fact that she's got a really good resume and I don't brag about it all the time. But she's got freaking New York Times on her resume. Like, you know, hmm. she, she's never had a problem getting jobs in any situation other than that. And then when she came down here, it was easier for her to be able to, to get a job. And her boss now, I mean, she rose very quickly within her company. And her boss now jokes, hey, if you ever left, you would need to give us six months notice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I actually think that he's kind of underselling it. Like, you need to give us a full year at this point um, with, with the dynamic that they have together where they're essentially co-bosses at this right. point. But yeah, it's it's just kind of weird. It's just, the, there's no, like, there's if you get a job before you move to another place, more power to you, that's great. It's hard. It's really hard. She really wasn't able to kind of go and see places. And she had another potential opportunity as well while she was down here, um, but but chose one job instead of the other. All right, let's and let's do two. Let's do two more real quick. And I appreciate everybody who sent who sent responses here. Jay Woody, Benny Hanna, which unbelievable name. Bradley Zane Zamanek. Um, let's let's do Michaelin Crabtree and Jonathan Mason here. Uh, Michaelin says, "I'm already thinking of ideas to leave my unpaid internship if a better job ever comes along. My two options: go to the station and say goodbye to the people that I loved working with." and a middle finger to the horrible person who deserves every bit of hell <laughs> and play the last minute of Taylor Swift's getaway car and just walk out with my head held high and my arms wide open for freedom. Shout out Creed. My words, not her. Two, say goodbye in our group me with a nice little message and still call out the horrible person and say adios with some kind of gift. Either way, I think I'm prepared. Michaela, and I'm gonna tell you right now. Save that middle finger for another time. Yep. Save it. You just never know. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, 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 ever burn a bridge as you are going away from somewhere. Now, if, if we're talking about maybe 10, 15 years from now, you know, you got your career kind of established, you want to look back on something, you want to kind of have a little bit of a gotcha moment. I'm not a vengeful person, but you know, there are, there are a few people, I'll admit, there are a few people in this industry that I'd like to kind of walk up to and say, what now? Whatever. I'm confident in my abilities. I had to grind my way up. And I, I would love being able to kind of tell them off and say, hey, kind of sucks you didn't give me this opportunity. I'd love to be able to say that, or hey, I didn't really like the way that you treated me back in the day. I would not say that as I'm going away from a job. Would wait, you'll have your time, um, continue to work hard, and maybe don't get as caught up in that in, in kind of that, that relationship because then other people kind of notice that too. And it's better to kind of just do the, hey, everybody kind of gets the same goodbye appreciate my time here, on to the next one. Keep it in the back of your mind. Sure, that's that's human nature, that's what we do. But maybe just don't make it known that, don't make it known to them that you maybe had a problem with them and they treated you like hell or all those things. You had a situation like that, Will? Um, I, I had some bad unpaid internships in college. I definitely feel that. I probably, I didn't follow this advice I'm about to give. Uh, oh boy. I, 
I mean, I just had, I had media, you know, unpaid internships, which you, you had to do, and it sounds like she had to do, and the ones that I had were, like, more entertainment-based, too, so they were a little bit less organized and, like, a journalistic, you know, pro um, professional one, but, yeah, I, I would say that, too. It's, like, you know, if you're going to put something on your resume and if it's an unpaid internship, you're basically spending your time so that everyone there says nice words about you. So, yes. on the way out, like you do something to where someone doesn't have nice words to say about you, you have in a way kind of played yourself because who's to say that person doesn't then be like, yeah, you know, Mikaelin, uh, what, what was her deal? And then they all just kind of start talking and it brings your whole Q rating down. So you never know, people just talk or whatever, that's my own thing. And, and, and but I will say my unpaid internships in college, two of them, I for sure left like with the double bird. So it's, it's just that point in your life, man, when you feel like you're going to jobs that don't really pay and you're like, why am I wasting my life doing this? I should get treated better, da da da. But then, you know, at the end of that, that's why I figured it out. You look at, you know, two guys like me and you, Connor, who did that for a long time. And now we get to look at this beautiful Zoom in our houses and be like, you know, we didn't anger the right people. <laughs> the wrong people, I mean, we didn't anger people, the wrong yeah. people. Yeah, we, we did just enough to keep our heads down and slide up that ladder. That's, that's the goal of unpaid internships, so. Actions speak loud. Yep. I, I would say just, just kind of save that. And remember as you're leaving a job, and anybody listens to this, not just Mikaelin, but there, there, there will be a time and a place maybe where you can kind of get your revenge, but maybe as, you, as you're leaving, not exactly the, the right moment to be able to do it. Uh, let's end with this one from Jonathan Mason. Jonathan says, I had been looking to make a change after being with the same large company for about 12 years. March 2020, we were all sent home to work due to COVID. A great opportunity with a different company came open and I applied and got that job started in May 2020. It was certainly weird, no farewell, happy hour, no in-person goodbyes, et cetera. Even weirder was coming downstairs from my home office on a Friday and going back upstairs on Monday to start training for my new job. That whole early COVID era was strange, but a job change made, made it even stranger. Yeah, oh gosh, what a, what a bizarre time that would be to go from one company to another because it's not like you could really have that in-person interaction and you don't feel maybe that same attachment. At the same time, maybe it makes it easier knowing that you don't have to walk, like physically walk into your boss's office or something and walk out knowing that you just left, you're going on to a different opportunity. And if you're one of these people that doesn't maybe like goodbyes, <laughs> you're more of an Irish goodbye person at the bar, which, <laughs> hey, you know, we've all been there, then maybe that, that was actually beneficial. I, I was, obviously it's got its positives, it's got its negatives there, but yeah, weird, weird time to be going through a job change, especially when you're working remotely. And it, it just probably doesn't even really sink in in the same sort of way. But I imagine many people have, have dealt with that in similar similar spot to, to Jonathan and, you know, no, only one way to leave a job and it's during a pandemic and <laughs> many first, like recent grads out of college leaving a job during a pandemic, that's the only time they've ever had to do it. But yeah, uh, just still messages the same, direct communication upfront with people, that whole deal. Yeah, we hired uh, three people during the pandemic on my team and it was a, it was a fun time and I, you know, my big thing, especially because they were on my team, was like, all right, well, when I got here, people sat down with me for a week or two weeks and showed me every dumb question that I had. They answered it. And so mm. I was like, hey, like, we're going to put some Zooms on the calendar. And I literally, like, spent a day just, like, making videos of myself editing stuff. And I was just like, here's how I do this. Boom. Here's how I do this. And it was like a little, like, vlog I had going because I was like, hey, like, I don't want you guys to be lost and miss that part of starting a new job. Like, so I was like, hey, like, 
here are my, here's like what I worked on today. Here's how I did it. Like, look at where all my assets came from. Look at my workflow, like use it or don't, don't really care. Here you go. And so, yeah, I think that that is definitely putting a lot of trust in your new employer that they have some type of infrastructure because I know outside of my team, the other people that were brought in didn't have something similar to what I did because they were just like, ah, you'll figure it out. So point being, it's just, it's a very, it takes a lot of bravery. And a lot of people use the pandemic because they were like, oh, my normal is screwed up anyway. Like what's, what's to change this? But I, I give you lots of props for doing that. Yeah, that, that could not have been easy. And it's a scary time to be transitioning when you don't really know kind of what's next in, in either your former job or your new job. Uh, I, I applaud you for being willing to, to kind of go out there and take that risk. Thank you to everybody who sent responses, Saturday Down South podcast group on Facebook. The goal for uh, later in the week is to predict some starting quarterback battles. We're gonna make a way too early prediction on these these quarterbacks going into spring camp, which is just around the corner. Can you hear before we know it? Is it? I know, it's crazy. What a, what a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already joined the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figure It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks guys, talk soon.